Good morning. How's everyone doing? If you got to get your Bibles out and turn to Exodus chapter 20. I love saying that. Open up your Bibles. It's good to hear the pages. I know now we use the text machines and all those kind of things. But to hear to get in your Bibles and stuff, we can still do that and no one's saying anything bad about us. We can still open up our Bibles. Um, how many of you remember the hula hoops? Okay, remember the hula hoops? We probably all do. They seem to come and go, but they actually started about 3,000 years ago with just a circle. But when they had their invention, in the first four months of the hula hoop, 25 million hula hoops sold, right? And then it just seemed like dropped off real fast, and they kind of went out the door. You see them every once in a while. When you see one, what do you do? Hey, there's a hula hoop, right? We look at them and stuff. But the market was ready for the next fad that would come. And the next fad that would come would be Frisbees. Remember Frisbees? Frisbee did really, really well. They're still today, but they're more in niches. There's kind of Frisbee golf and Frisbee leagues and Frisbee and all kind of things. There's even Frisbee for, for dogs, right? I have a Frisbee for my dog to throw the Frisbee and stuff. But there has always been these fads. There was the Beanie Babies. You remember the Beanie Babies? How many of you are old enough to remember the Cabbage Patch Dolls and, and stuff like that? Had to run after those. And then we had the uh, Chia Plants. Anybody have a Chia Plant? is growing up, or, or you had the WWJD bracelets. Everybody was wearing those at some time. Even people didn't wear in Christians. It just was the fad to wear those. And just one right after that, we see them. There's nothing wrong with them, nothing having them, but there seems about something, there's something about us. When we hear about something, we've got to have it, right? We've got to have it, got to make it part of our lives. And so we get it, but eventually that item, we kind of get tired of it, and the novelty wears off, and sooner or later, that it's at a table at a garage sale selling for a dollar, right? or we're throwing it in the garbage, or we're giving it away because we don't want it anymore, we don't need it anymore, we've kind of ran through that, we moved on to something else. We even see that with technology today, that as soon as they say you buy something and you get it home, it's already out of date, right? And just like if you get the new smartphone, you get the new smartphone with all the gadgets on it, it has all the technology, the newest, greatest stuff, has the best camera on it, and then all of a sudden here comes a new one out. Like the new iPhone or something comes, hey, I've got to have that one too. It seems like there's something about us that wants that. And I want to talk to you about this morning. As in our, in our series, The Commands of God, and the last commandment, the 10th commandment this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's look at it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and let's read it. Where he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When it talks about the neighbor's house, uh, they didn't have houses like back then like we do today. You know, we have kind of the two-story colonials, and we have the ranches, the raised ranches, the tri-levels, the split levels. They didn't have houses like that. They had tents. They lived in tents. So he uses the word, when he uses the word house here, he's talking about anything that your neighbor has. That's, that's what he's saying. His household, his collection, and he uses a few, few words to describe it here. Then he says, do not covet. The word covet, the word itself before it's translated, it's a word that can be both positive and negative. And the word covet just means strong desire, that you have a strong desire about something. And that's fine. That's fine in itself. But it can cross the line when that desire becomes negative. When that des strong desire means that I want something that belongs to somebody else, and I want to make that something part of my garage. I want to make that something part of my household, and that's wrong. He says, don't do that. Don't covet, he says. And I pers personally think that coveting is a real big deal. It's a big deal. I don't know about you as I prepared each one of these messages for this series. I'm going through the Ten Commandments. When you first look at it, you think, yeah, I'm kind of all right with that, right? I'm all right with that commandment. I think I've got this one down. 
And then as I started studying the commandment and getting underneath the surface of it, the Holy Spirit began to get on my heart, and next thing I know, I'm stopping and confessing before God and asking for his forgiveness. How about you? Same thing? You go through these, you think on the surface, I'm all right, but you get below the surface and say, hey, this has a lot more detail to it, and we find that out. Coveting is a gateway sin. It's a gateway sin. Uh, let me illustrate it with three people from the Bible. The first one is Achan. The children of Israel had wandered in the desert for about 40 years, and now they're coming to the brink of the promised land, and they're ready to go in. But the Jordan River is at flood stage right then, and God miraculously opens up the Jordan River, and they're able to walk across on dry ground, just like he did the Red Sea. So they walk across on dry ground, and the first city they had come to conquer is, what is it? Jericho. Somebody said it. Somebody, it's Jericho. And they come there, and God said, don't worry, I've got this. God tells them, I've got this. All you have to do is march around the city, blow your trumpets, and the walls will come tumbling down. But he says, that city, you need to understand, it's, it's made for destruction. It's going to be destroyed. That city, what he's saying, it belongs to me, God says. And he says, it's dedicated for worship. Don't touch it. It's not yours. Don't touch it. It's mine. Don't take anything from it. Well, one of those guys named Achan came in the aftermath, and he's walking through there, and he, the Bible says he saw a piece of gold. He saw a piece of silver, and he saw a garment. He looked at that, and he says, hey, I want that. He coveted it, and he took it. And because he took it, he got in all kinds of trouble. That led to his coveting, led to lying. And if you know the story of Achan, it didn't end well for him and his family. A horrible story for him and his family, what happened there. The second person is Ahab. You probably heard of King Ahab. He's one of the kings. He saw a vineyard. And his vineyard is right next to his vineyards, and he really wa wanted it. Maybe he walked by it every day and said, I want that vineyard. Maybe it was, I like the way the vines are growing in that vineyard. And the Bible says that he, he wanted it, so he coveted it. It led to stealing, which led to murder. And so one sin, breaking a commandment, led to the breaking of two other commandments. And then the other one you probably know, uh, the story of King David. The Bible says his kings go off to war. David didn't go off to war that year, and he stayed home. And he's looking out his porch. And he sees a woman bathing. And he says, I want her. I want her as my wife. And the sin of coveting led to adultery, which led to murder, which led to lying. And that the ripple effect was horrendous for David and his family, if you know the history. It was horrendous what he did that day. And so coveting is a big deal. So God didn't come to the Tenth Commandment and say, boy, I, I need one more. I'll, I'll just go with coveting. No, coveting is a big deal, as we're going to find out this morning. I was reading an article and they said something about coveting. They said this, that you may be coveting if you hurt others in order to get more for yourself. That you may be coveting if you're preoccupied with accumulating more. That you may be coveting if you're willing to give up what you are, if you're not willing to give up what you already have. You may be coveting if you're frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, the quality and quantity of your possessions, and the general state of your life. And so often it goes like this in our life. We say in our minds, if I only had blank, then I would be so much happy. Then I would be happy. What is it that you would fill in that blank? If that I only had blank, I would be so much happier. What is it that you would fill in there? If you can't think of anything, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. If you can't think of anything, fill in that blank. But so many times we play that game in our minds. If I only had his wife, if I only had her husband, if I only had a husband or wife, if I only had this degree, if I only had that house, if I only had that job, if I only had that car, then I would really, truly be complete and I would be happy. That's coveting. That's sin, and that's what the Bible talks about. 
And Jesus addresses that. If you could turn your Bibles to the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. This morning, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, if you could find that in the New Testament. This is the point in Jesus' ministry where the crowds were huge. He's ministering to thousands now in his ministry, and he's teaching. And he's teaching one day, and one day that he's teaching, he's talking to them about what it's going to take to be a disciple. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guy kind of shouts out and, 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 and asks Jesus something to do that Jesus wasn't talking about. Out of nowhere, he just says, will you do this? Kind of interrupts him and says this. Let's read Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Everyone got it? He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this man is asking Jesus to do something that was unrelated to what Jesus was talking about. And this tells me that this guy wasn't even listening to Jesus, right? This is what this guy had in his mind, and he's a little irritated. He's not getting the peace that he thought he deserved from the inheritance. He thought he deserved more is what we see here. And so Jesus, interestingly, is almost dismissive of the guy. Look at the very next verse in verse 14. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus goes on to teach. But he doesn't uh, base his teaching back to where he left off. Jesus begins his teaching based on what this man's comment was all about, which was about coveting. He said, you should not covet. And then he gives us three different challenges about coveting. But look at the words of next next verse. Then he said to them, and stop right there. Why didn't Jesus just address the man? Why did you just, just address him? He's talking to him. He's the one that asked the question. Because what he's doing, he's going to teach. Based on what this man was asking him to do, he's going to teach. And he's addressing them because Jesus knew, he knew that this sin that this guy was struggling with is something that we all struggle with. And so he's addressing him, addressing them, but he's also addressing all of us in here. He's addressing all of us, including you, all of us right here in verse 15. And he says this, then he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So three challenges that Jesus gives about coveting, and the first one is guard against covetousness. I knew I'd have a tongue tied on that. And he says, take care, be on your guard against covetousness. The NIV says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. When it talks about that word, be on your guard, be on your guard is a, a word that comes from uh, guarding prisons. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison because preaching of the gospel. And then God brought a, a big earthquake that shook the city of Philippi, which shook the jail cells. And the Bible says all the cell doors flew open. So Paul and Silas were able to get out of prison. So were all the other prisoners. And when the guard came in, he saw all the prisoners out of their cells. The Bible says, he goes, oh no. He was ready to take his life because the prisoners had escaped under his watch under his guard. Being on guard or keeping watch is a huge deal. It's a big, big deal as we see. Coveting is subtle in our lives. And, and so we have to be careful. We have to watch that we don't cross the line that I want that, I'm going to get that, right? It's very easy for that to happen in our lives. The Apostle Paul had men that traveled with him on his missionary journey, and some of those guys who started with him did end with him. And one of them was a man by the name of Demas, and Paul says this about him in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. It's a very sad story that he went and chased after the things of the world. He coveted the world, the things of the world. I remember the words of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man who, who had 
felt God was leading him to the land of Ecuador somewhere around 1955. And there he would lose his wife trying to share the gospel message with the Aka Indian tribe. But before he died, he wrote these words. It says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. We have to be on our guard. I remember one of the houses that we lived in, um, they had a front porch, and a bird built his nest on the front porch. And so every time you went out in the front yard or you drove the riding mower out there to cut the grass, that bird would attack you. And so you had to be on your guard. You had to be on your watch constantly as you're out there in the front driving with the mower because that bird just didn't dive bomb you and went on. That bird would literally come take nest on the back of your head and poke your head and continue to do it. It was one of these kind of things, get off. It was like, would cause your head to bleed. So you're walking around there, and the whole time you're out there, all you're thinking about is this bird, and you're keeping watch, keeping guard, watching for this bird to hit you in the head. Until one day, I had enough, but that's another story, right? That's another story. But the point is, we have to be on guard. We have to be very vigilant, the Bible says. Coveting will sneak up on us when we least expect it. It will appeal to us. And that desire will get stronger and stronger and stronger. So that's all we think about. And he said, that's wrong. That's coveting. I remember just last week, I got into one of my vehicles, and I looked at the dashboard. And right at the dashboard, the engine light came on to tell me there was something wrong with the engine on the car. We have those dashboards in the, uh, on our hearts, too. We have a dashboard for our heart. And, and we need to check that dashboard from time to time to see how we're doing. We have a dashboard to check our, for pride and arrogance. And check your dashboard of your heart to see if that light comes on of pride and arrogance. If it is, we need to confess that and get that right. We have a dashboard on there, uh, a light that comes on for, for selfishness, from being very selfish. We need to check that out. We have one for angry, being angry at other people. We have one for coveting. Is there something in your life where that dashboard light comes on, you say, boy, I just got to have this. I'm not complete. I'm not happy till I have that thing or whatever it may be. The Bible says that's wrong. We should not have that. The Bible's not condemning a bigger house, a faster car, a bigger car. It's not at all, but it's just saying that if we want it so badly, many times it can just cross the line where there's discontent in our hearts even toward God. And it's saying that's wrong. That's wrong. So we need to check the dashboard of our hearts to see if the lights are coming on. We need to check it all the time, see if I'm right before God. Because sometimes coveting especially sneaks upon us. And coveting would lead us to do other sins too, as we'll find out. The second challenge Jesus gives in the last part of this verse 15, to evaluate desires properly is what he says. Verse 15, he says, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You may have seen the bumper sticker that says, the one who has the most toys in the end wins, right? You ever see that? The one who has the most toys in the end wins. That's not a Bible verse. But of course, you know that. You know that. And the bumper sticker has little value except maybe holding up the bumper. But it's not true. It's not true at all what it says. But oftentimes, the world would try to convince us it is true. Would try to convince us that we are the sum total of our possessions and our collections and our accumulation of our degrees and our accomplishments and our successes. And God says, no. No, that's not it at all. There are a couple of promises that Jesus gives us from the Word of God that are especially helpful in this society today, where the society is constantly telling you and I, more. You can have more. You deserve more and more and more. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to abundantly. 
And he's warning the crowds that's around him that people and things are going to offer to deliver, but they never do in terms of spiritual things. That only Jesus can deliver. And that Jesus can give you life, abundant life, forevermore. And he says a similar thing in John chapter 6, verse 35, where he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never thirst again, is what he says. Are you ready for this one? Covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry, the Bible says. And when we understand that, that elevates this 10th commandment, that it's more than just an add-on, but it's very, very important. The Apostle Paul helps us explain that. He says in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, covetous person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So here's how it goes. God is saying that to the children of God and to us, he says, uh, I am the Lord your God, I brought you out of bondage, therefore we have this relationship, we've been talking about that through this whole series. I am your God, you're, I am your God. you are my people, uh, you are my representatives here on this earth, is what he's saying. And as a result of that, I've got ten rules for you to live by, he's saying. Ten rules. And the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he gives eight other commands, and then he gives the tenth command, where he says, do not covet. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of bondage. Don't have any other gods before me, because if you covet, you become an idolater. That's what he's saying. If you covet, you become an idolater. So when you look at those things that you really want, and they cross the line, he says you become an idolater. So to, to covet, to break the tenth commandment, he says you're also breaking the first commandment. And God has booked in these commandments to basically say to you and I, have no other gods before me because you don't need any other gods because I can give you everything that you need. And Jesus says that in Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We're to seek him. He said, I'll give you everything that you need. So breaking the 10th commandment, we're also breaking the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And what Jesus does, he tells a story. He then tells a parable. A parable is a story with great heavenly meaning, a deeper meaning. It's not just the surface. He takes us, it's a meaning that's much below the surface. It's very deep that he's given to us. And this one that he's telling is very easy to understand. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. I'm reading it from the English Standard Version. And he says this, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said to self, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, who will they, who will, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's a few nuances to this story that grabs my attention. I want to share with you the one. The first thing he says, it's a nuance. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Uh, do you know people who think they're self-made men or self-made women? You know people who says that. Is there such a thing as a self-made man or a uh, self-made woman? I don't think so. 
if, God has, if God has given you a mind where you can be on your job and you can make lots of money, it's God that has given you that mind, right? And suppose you use your back, you use your muscles, you use your strength. That's a gift from God. That everything we have, all of our skills, our abilities, our talents, everything that we have, our intelligence, it's a gift from God. They're all from God, right? Solomon says in Psalm 127, he says, he who builds the house does so in the Lord's strength. Children are also a gift from God. It's all a gift. God has given us a gift. Everything that you and I have, it's a gift from God is what he's saying. Everything that we have, anything we can do, the abilities that we have, everything, our strength is a gift from God. And then he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. It doesn't say the man was rich because what he did. It says the land produced. Notice that. The land produced. And every farmer knows this. In the spring, you plant the crop. Psalm 126 talks about it. When you plant them, you wait, you weep, you, you pray, you work, right? And then the crops are, are, are not going to come up unless the sun comes out, right? The sun doesn't come out, the crops aren't coming up. And then you're waiting for those early rains because the early rains will cause that seed to germinate. Then you have a crop. Then you wait for the latter rains because it just takes that crop and it just expands it, right? It expands it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says you have a good crop, not because of anything you did, because of the land, because of the ground. And then we see this guy, he, he talks to himself, right? He talks, he thinks to himself. Does anybody do that here? Anybody? My wife's not here. She can say she does. She talks to herself. Can we actually have an intelligent conversation with yourself? Can you have one? Well, he talks with himself and he says this. And he thought to himself, self, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he says to self, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. It would have been really good if this guy, instead of having a conversation with his own mind, that he would have had a conversation with God. Wouldn't it have? That he would talk to God and, and, I, and come to God and say something like this. God, I got a problem. And the problem is you have blessed me so, so much that my barns are full. And I don't have any place to put the rest of the crops. So I'm thinking I'm going to tear down my old barns and build new barns, bigger barns, so I can store the crops. But God, what do you think I should do? God, what do you suggest I should do? We don't have to wonder how God would respond to that because we have verse after verse after verse in the Bible that I think God would have said to something like this, I blessed you so you can be a blessing to others. And I think he said perhaps you don't need to build bigger barns uh, than you have uh, to store more things. Perhaps the test of your generosity and the test of your contentment is not what you put in the barns, but actually what you take out of the barns. So to give people who have nothing to eat, to give people who have no barns. I think God would have said something like that. Does, it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to save, but sometimes we save and God said, I blessed you so you could be a blessing to others and help other people out. So he's having this conversation with himself, and I want you to notice, he says, I thought, when he should have been having a conversation with God. And then notice this, next, then he has a conversation with his own soul. He's having a conversation with his soul in verse 19. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He doesn't even know that he's going to die that very night. He's going to die. He has no idea what's going to happen. When you have a conversation with your soul, your soul will outlive time going to outlive time. So he's saying to his soul, the barns are full. We're set for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We're set. We're set. If I'm in soul, this is how I would respond back to him if I'm his soul. You don't understand. Crops don't satisfy me. I'm your soul, right? I'm your soul. C.S. Lewis said this. 
We are not bodies with the soul. We are souls with bodies. And one, one day our body's going to die, but our soul lives forever. Listen to me. This body outside shell that you see on me, that we see on everybody, it's going to die one day, and it's dying every day. But that soul inside, who you really are, that lives for eternity. It lives forever. It never dies. And so if I'm a soul, I'm saying to him, you say that we're covered for many, many years, but you're talking about material things. You're talking about temporal things that does nothing for the soul. By the way, I'm not concerned about many years. I'm concerned about eternity because the soul will live forever. And so many times in this world, we're so busy gathering because we're trying to please the flesh. And the soul is saying, none of those things please me, right? He said, if, if I'm the soul, I'm having this conversa conversation with him, and I'm saying, please, please, please give attention to the soul. Because all the things you're gathering here on this earth does nothing for me. does nothing for who you really are. When we gather all the things on this earth, all the temporal things, they're just for the body, this flesh, this temporal things. It does nothing for the soul. It does not satisfy the soul. It doesn't give anything to the soul. And the soul saying, please, think of me, because that's who you really are. That's for eternity. That's for eternity. And that, does, that, that, that man didn't know in the story that his soul was going to be required of him that night. He had no idea. But neither do we, do we? We have no idea. We know we're going to die. We just don't know when we're going to die, right? For most of us, we assume it's going to be sometime in the future that we have a lot of life to live yet. But God says, I've made you for eternity. I sent my son to this world to save you so you can have abundant life. Don't chase after the junk. Don't chase after temporal things. Don't do that. It's not wrong to have a new car. It's not wrong to upgrade your, your house. But don't live for those things is what he's saying. Don't live for those things. And that's the third challenge that he gives us. Be satisfied with Jesus. Be satisfied with Jesus is what he's saying. The third thing it says, those who chased, chased after those things, who want, want them, are not rich towards God is what he's saying. Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is what he says. But God has made us for so much more. We sing songs like, Lord, you're my everything, you're my all in all. And we mean them when we sing them. We mean them. I believe we mean them. Hopefully you mean them as you sing songs. But listen, every one of us is tempted by coveting. It's acceptable to coveting. We are chasing after things, kind of wasting our lives, going after all these other things, and not being satisfied with God. So many times we chased after all these temporal things, think this will satisfy, that will satisfy. We go after all. The Apostle Paul says to the Galatian believers, and I love this verse. He says this in Colossians 3, verse 4, For in Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him glory. The Apostle Paul is always challenging his readers of the truth that we are complete in Jesus, that you are complete in Christ. You don't need anything else. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, write this down, this verse is. It's great what he says in verse 9, but it's even greater what he says about us. In verse 9, he says this, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So what he's saying, it's great to know all the fullness of the Godhead lives in Jesus. That Jesus is fully God, as much as God is God the Father. The fullness of the Godhead lives in Jesus, is what he's saying. But then the next verse, listen to what he says. In you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. So what he's saying, all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, he says, we are complete in him, and he is everything that we need. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are complete. 
You don't need anything else. You may think you need anything else. That's the body saying, but the soul is saying, I am complete. I have all that I need. All that I need. And that's all we need is Jesus. We are complete in him. So the question is, are you satisfied with Jesus? Are you satisfied with God? Hope you are. Hope you are. Hope you're satisfied with him. Coveting is a big deal. It's idolatry. It's putting other things before God that we wanted such a great desire that I've taken God off the top shelf and I placed this item, whatever it may be, person, place, or thing upon that and say, no, I've got to have this or I'm not complete. And God says, no, I've made you complete if you know Jesus. We're complete in Christ. God always has to be there. And coveting does that. It makes us not only break the 10th commandment, but we break the first commandment. And it's a big, big deal. So are your dashboard of your heart, are lights going on in, in when it comes to coveting? Well, you've got something in your life. We have Christmas coming up. The holidays are fast approaching. We have those lists. We all have them, right? We have this list of the things that I want. Is there something that you have in your heart and your mind say, I've got to have this. I've got to have it, or otherwise I'm not complete. I'm not happy unless I have this item. Guys, that's covenant. It's all right to want things. It's all right to have things. But when we raise it such to an unhealthy level, level it becomes negative. That's covenant. And we need to confess that before God. I want to say to some of you that might be on a journey here today uh, trying to find who Jesus is. You don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one that can satisfy the needs of the heart. He's the only one. There's no one else that can do that. We have a God-shaped vacuum in every one of our lives, and only Jesus can fill that. We try to fill it with all kinds of things. We try to cram all kinds of things into our lives to trying to fill that void. That's why we chase after all these things in the world. Because we feel like we're missing something. We're missing something. Only Jesus can fill that. Come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Put your faith and trust in Him. But we all have this void in our lives. And God says, I've created that void, and every person has it. That's why we're always looking for something. And Jesus is that perfect piece of puzzle that just clicks right in there. And when we accept Jesus, we are now complete. Complete in and the soul is saying, I've got everything I need. I'm ready. That's all I need. I don't need anything else for eternity because we're complete in Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, you're not complete. There's a void in your life. And the world will not satisfy. The world can't meet the desires of the heart. There's only one that can meet the desires of your heart. The only one that can meet your desires for eternity, and that's Jesus. Meet the desires of your soul, and it's Jesus. He's the only one that truly satisfies. He's the only one that truly meets the needs of the soul and of our heart is Jesus. So if you never put your faith and trust in him, put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Accept him today that he died on the cross for your sins and put your faith and trust in him. For all of us who know Christ as their Savior, this time of year we look at all kinds of things, and it's all right, but don't let them rise above who Jesus Let's not covet. Let's not be people who covet after things that i got to have it. We becomes a negative thing. We allow it to rise up where it's not. Just like the man we see in Luke chapter 12 in the parable, the rich man. And I've got all this, and I've got more and more and more. No, we don't need that. We need Jesus. It's all right to want things. Don't get me wrong. The Bible does this not against you having things. But when they rise to a level that are above Jesus, then it's coveting, then it's sin. If that dashboard on your heart, or the light's coming on, or any light's coming on, this is a time to confess those sins and get yourself right before God. God gave us the Ten Commandments because it says, uh, I have the, we have this relationship 
because I redeemed you. I brought you out of bondage, and he did that for us. He did that for them by bringing them out of Egypt. He did that for us by giving us Jesus. I brought you out of bondage. Therefore, we have this relationship, right, that you are my treasured possession. And now God says you are my representatives here on this earth, and we are. We're made in his image. That's what image means, representation. We are his representatives here on this earth. He says this is how I want you to live. Because when people see you, I want them to see God. And he goes, so here's Ten Commandments to live by. Because when you live like this, not just in the service of the commandments, when we live like this, people will see we're different from all others. And they will be drawn. They will see Jesus through us, and that's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's why he says, do not covet. But we should have a strong desire for who? For him. For him. Let's covet for God. Put him first. That's why I say coveting is going to be positive for him. Let's put him first above all things. That's where God wants us to, wants to be. And then we satisfy our soul and we satisfy our heart. The body wants all kinds of things. But the soul says, now we're set for eternity because I have Jesus. Who satisfies the soul, right? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you so much. For you are a gracious and you are a good God, a wonderful God, who loves us, even when we're unlovable many times. But you love us in spite of ourselves, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Well, we did not deserve that, Lord, but you did it because you love us. And so, Lord, I, I, I just that we come. If somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, their Savior this morning, Lord, I pray that they would understand their sinner in need of a Savior. That no one is automatically saved. That no one is saved when I, I've been saved since I'm a child. That's not possible. That every one of us was born into sin. We're sinners by nature. We're all sinners. That every one of us would realize there has to be a point in time we accepted Jesus as our Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins. And if we can't think of there was a time in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would convince them today by the leading of the Holy Spirit that you would tug at their hearts that there are sinners in need of a Savior. And there's only one Savior that you have given. is your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins so they might have forgiveness of sins and be part of the family of God and have eternal life and hope to be with you forever and ever. So, Lord, I pray for them that they would understand who Jesus is and put their faith and trust in him. For all of us who know Jesus Christ as your, their Savior, Lord, help us to realize what we were saved from. We were saved from the bondage of our sin. We were saved from eternity to be separated from you in the lake of fire, to be there forever in torment and punishment and pain. And you redeemed us. You saved us by coming to this earth and going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins. You redeemed us, Lord, did what we could not do that we should be eternally grateful for all that we have in Jesus. We should not want to covet other things. But our heart's desire should be you, that you're the only one that can truly satisfy. You're the only one that can redeem us. You're the only one that can save us. Lord, may our hearts be content and satisfied in you, Jesus. Give us that, Lord. Many times our hearts are prone to wander, the Bible says, to go after all kinds of things. Help us, Lord, not to do that. Help those dashboard of the lights to come on right away, and Lord, we be sensitive to them. So if they start to do that, we confess them. We get our hearts and minds right with you. Lord, we love you. And I pray our heart's desire is to please you, to live for you. I know that's our soul's desire. Our soul's desire is to live for you. 
But Lord, I pray that's our heart's desire too, Lord, as we live out this life. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us that when people see us, they see Jesus. So we can draw people to you. Help us, Lord, as Thanksgiving is coming up and soon Christmas and, and the holidays are here, Lord, that we can have those opportunities to share the great message of Jesus Christ and might see people come to know Jesus. Be with us, Lord. We're so thankful of all we have because, God, you are a, a good God. You are a wonderful God. You are an amazing God. And Lord, this Thanksgiving, may we thank and praise the goodness of God. And Lord, we ask all these things in that amazing name, in the name of Jesus.